Changemakers, Happy New Year and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Allie Murphy with Engage for Good. If you've seen the show art for this episode, you might have noticed that it's a little different. That's because while this is still the same great show you're used to, we're now called the Engage for Good podcast and we're your resource for all things corporate social impact, CSR and brand purpose. In order to grow, to advance and to stay relevant, organizations have to innovate. Take social impact, for example. Cause marketing and other social impact initiatives have gone from nice to haves to need to do's over the last two decades. In order to get to where we are now, there's a lot of innovation that took place, which begs the question, how do we innovate and how do we create teams and cultures where innovation can thrive? To answer that, I bring you Virginia Martinez. Virginia and I worked together back in her days at UC Berkeley Exec Ed, where she designed innovation courses for executives from around the world. She then spent five years at IDEO, a global innovation consultancy, where she advised clients on how to create more innovative cultures. She's now the founder of 10th House Consulting. She's helped Amazon, Salesforce, YouTube, and Visa become more innovative. And today, she's here to help you drive innovation on your social impact teams. So join us to learn the five questions to ask yourself and your team as you work to become more innovative. What makes people 30% less likely to share their ideas and how to combat this? How to foster a culture of psychological safety? And what innovation and creative problem solving have in common? Plus a whole lot more. And with that, let's get started. Hi, Virginia. Happy New Year and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me and Happy New Year to you as well. I'm so excited that you're here. I originally learned a little bit about what we're going to talk about today in an article that you had written that I'm going to put in the show notes. And before I say too much about it, we're just going to dive in. So innovation sounds like this big, intimidating thing, or it can to some people. What does innovation really mean? You are so right. Over time, somehow it's become so commoditized in a way that it almost sometimes feels out of reach and yet is everywhere. Like you can't swing a cat without hitting something innovative. But <laughs> to me, what I often tell people is reframe innovation as creative problem solving. That's mm-hmm. often what it, I mean, that's really what it is. Honestly, it is a way to solve problems in a very complex world by finding new solutions to old problems, right? And and when I say like creative problem solving is because creativity is a muscle. And what often happens is like, if you spend any time with kids, you'll see this, like their imaginations are wild, mm-hmm. right? They They color outside of the lines and they bring it to you and they're like, oh my gosh, look, this is a dragon. And like to you and I, it looks nothing like a dragon. (laughs) But like to them, they've got this imagination. It's an amazing dragon. Absolutely. Like you never want to stifle that. But then over time, we are just told like you got to color inside the lines. That doesn't look like a dragon. And then you like translate that into school and work. And we kind of lose this creativity muscle. So then when we go to solve problems... Mm-hmm. We find ourselves sort of not stretching beyond what we already know or could imagine. And that's what limits innovation. So again, like I just kind of tie it back to it's it's a creative problem solving approach. And so that to me also makes me think that, sure, there are these massive innovations that take place, but you could also look at innovation within a specific small problem that maybe you have just in your role or on your team and use creative problem solving, aka innovation, 
to bring that to the next level. Absolutely. Yeah. If you think about like, you could get to innovative outcomes, but if you think of innovation as like the way you go about your processes or steps, you absolutely can do it in your day to day. It's, it's asking yourselves like, okay, um, we've got this challenge in front of us. Like, who are my decisions going to impact? Do I even have a good sense of that? If I do, have I talked to them? Do I, am I taking into consideration their needs, their opinions? Do I have empathy for them before I go and do this? Mm -hmm. You can do that. Like, you know, people overthink this, but honestly, like it could be internal teams that are like developing a new, um, expense reporting process. And they're like, hold on a second. Who are the folks that travel the most in our company? Have we talked to them before we bring that? Like, it doesn't have to be. Like you don't have to create the new iPhone. (laughs) You can innovate on your travel expense report. You know, Mm -hmm. there's ways to do that. So people call you an innovation expert, but what do you call yourself? Okay. Well, first of all, I'm so flattered when people call (laughs) me that. Um, It feels very nice. But the reality is I would say I'm more of a people, talent, culture expert And it just so happens that along the way, I learned about um, design thinking, which is a very specific innovation methodology, and it centers around human experiences and human needs. Mm -hmm. So over time, I started practicing design thinking in my various talent roles. And then even over more time, I started coaching and advising on these approaches for teams and organizations. So Again, super flattered that that's the reputation I get. But the reality is I'm like, I'm a a people person. So you've been asked a lot by CEOs and other C-suite execs, how do we innovate? And how do we become more innovative? How do we encourage our teams to become more innovative? What is your answer? And then is it what they actually expect you to say? Oh, my God. Well, no, it's never (laughs) what they expect you to say. (laughs) I mean, it it is. No, Um, not not. Everybody, but I would say most of those conversations do go a very particular way. I I think folks, once they've reached the point of like, oh gosh, we're not innovative, they're, they're in a little bit of a panic mode. And because of that, they're looking for this like silver bullet, Mm -hmm. often in the form of a checklist or process or new tool. And I always kind of laugh when people are like, tell me the best practices for innovation. I'm like, if everyone's doing it, it's not innovative. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and what they they least expect me to say is that I actually cannot answer that question for them, like what they need to do until I get to know them, mm-hmm. right? Because um, so much of being innovative really depends on the, the the ways of working that exist within a team the characteristics of a team, not a person mm-hmm. or the outcomes of a product, but like the, the the inner workings and ways of working of a team and then across an organization. So until I kind of know what are their, what's working in their favor, what might be getting in the way and some things that are just like full on barriers, I, I can't really make an informed recommendation for them. Now, of course, they're just like, general things I can share around like these are behaviors you would hope to see and practice, et cetera. But I I don't have like a prescriptive approach to to it though. I really try to get to know folks before making recommendations. So it sounds like 
a lot, not everybody, as you said, but a lot of these (laughs) people that are coming to you for help with innovation are looking for kind of the silver bullet, as you said. Mm -hmm. And while there are some practices out there, of course, it sounds like a lot of it actually has to do with the dynamics of a specific team or the entire company, maybe. So do teams feel safe bringing up new ideas? Can they share different things with one another? Those sorts of questions. Is that kind of where you start? Yes. Like there's definitely, um, I try to either assess in a way, either through conversations with the client that there or through interviews or through a survey, but try to understand sort of the lay of the land of those comfort levels around these different behaviors. Um, for sure. Yeah. So I want to get into the the questions, some of the questions that you asked, but before we get there, what advice would you have for someone who thinks this is too soft or whose leadership team <laughs> thinks this is too soft and says, hey, I want the silver bullet. Give me that. Here's here's what people need to realize is that um, in addition to obviously asking those questions and making recommendations, the reality is you have to take a second to realize anytime you're asking, you, whether it's your team, your organization, or what have you, to be more innovative more creative, more adaptive, more nimble, more anything, more agile, right? More or less of anything, what you are implying and basically saying and conveying is that change is going to happen. Not only am I expecting a different set of results, I'm expecting you to do things differently. You are in essence asking people to change. Mm Mm-hmm. Great. We can, we can touch on so many analogies like the beautiful cat, you know, the caterpillar that turns into the beautiful butterfly changes beautiful, but guess what? It's also like ugly and hard and scary at times. <laughs> and so if you're going to go on that journey to be more fill in the blank, in this case, innovative, you do at some point, you're going to have to deal with it either in the beginning or it's going to come back to haunt you, but you will have to deal with the sort of the people-y stuff. The people we believe soft and fuzzy stuff is actually what will make it successful, right? There's that, um, there's that Peter Drucker quote, culture will eat strategy for breakfast. <laughs> I love that. And it's true. Like no matter, like you can create any plan you want, but if people's mindsets aren't really prepared to go there, good luck. Okay, so let's get into some of the actual questions. So what questions do you ask when you start working with a new client that listeners could ask themselves and their teams? Yeah. Um, So when you think about, and this is sort of based on sort of understanding if there's even just base levels of psychological safety in a way that contribute towards innovation. So So the first question I'd... Before we get into that, just in case listeners don't know what psychological safety Uh, is, can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So what's fascinating about us humans is that um, in some ways we've evolved way past our caveman and cave women <laughs> our lizard cave brain. people time. Yeah. Well, in some ways we haven't. Um, so it's fascinating in that um, we might be walking down the street and if someone were to like chase us, like our heart would start pumping and we wouldn't know what's happening, but we would have this instinct to run, mm-hmm. right? Like, cause we would feel we are in danger. Well, guess what? Th- those are physical threats. Our body internally reacts the same way in terms of like that rush of adrenaline, this sort of panic, even with psychological threats that aren't physical. We've just been conditioned to say like, 
well, it's unprofessional to scream out loud at the <laughs> office place. So I'm not going to scream out loud. But inside, our insides are like, ah! mm-hmm. and we don't know how to always process it. And so when you think about psychological safety, it is um, this idea of how do we respond to things that may maybe perceive, even if they're not threats, perceived threats. Perceived as threats. Mm-hmm. And what does that cause us to do? And sometimes it really, um, ultimately, it, it doesn't, well, obviously doesn't make us feel safe, but it ultimately impacts our sense of belonging, our sense of fairness, our ability to contribute, mm-hmm. our ability to challenge the status quo. And I'll talk about this, how this comes. So you can imagine how if we don't feel safe in those ways, if we feel threatened for whatever reason, and this constant sense of like fight or flight is taking place inside of us, it's really not a great place to innovate from. Yeah. Okay. So I derailed you a little bit, but let's get back to what are those questions that you ask clients or that team member listeners could ask their teams? The first question I'd, I'd explore is whose ideas and perspectives are most valued on your team or organization? Mm -hmm. And um, the reason being, we might say like, oh, everybody's voice counts. But what the sort of the records show, you know what I mean? Like there's what people say and there's what people do. So whose ideas and perspectives are most valued? And if you're like, well, it's only a select few or it's this very specific team or it's this very specific tenure or level, there's probably a low sense of innovation status for your team members or employees. Basically, they might not feel appreciated for their ideas. And so therefore, they're less likely to come forward with them because if they're like, well, only directors are listened to or, well, everyone thinks Jane's an innovative wizard. So what's the point? (laughs) I want to be an innovative wizard. Yeah, totally. But the, the thing is, if you remember that creativity is a muscle and it's just about kind of strengthening it, like we all are innovative wizards, mm-hmm. you know, just waiting to come out. So yeah. So that's the first one, like whose ideas and perspectives are most valued. Okay. What's number two? Okay. This one is so, so, so important for many reasons, but I would ask, do you have a clear and inspirational purpose for your organization? Now, companies are always like, yes, of course. Yes, we do. And then I'm like, what is it? And first of all, I get, I ask five different people and I get five different answers. Well, guess what? That doesn't mean it's pretty clear. (laughs) Two, I often, people tell me like their objective or what they're doing, but not why, not the impact they want to make. Now, I think in the social impact space, this is a little different. They've, they've figured this out a lot better than, um, other corporations, but a clear purpose that inspires people to come to work. Um, not only is it warm and fuzzy, but it is so powerful because it becomes your inner compass. So innovation implies that you're in uncharted territory, right? Mm-hmm. There, It also implies that you're going to go off course sometimes. So if you don't have a North Star, this purpose that you can all sort of course correct around and feel good about your decisions of like, well, I don't exactly have all the information here. This is uncharted territory, but I do know it serves this purpose. Mm -hmm. You give people a sense of autonomy, a sense of direction, clarity. It's, it's really helpful in in, in innovative teams. Okay. So we've got. Whose ideas and perspectives are most valued? Do you have a clear and inspirational purpose? What else do you ask? Yeah. Um, 
are your teams or team members empowered to explore new ideas and test them out? Is the next one I ask. And this one relates to um, experimentation, Mm -hmm. but also, again, that sense of autonomy. Like, oh, I've got a great idea. I don't know if it's going to go really far, but I'd love to just like test it out in a small way. Do they have to like run it up, up the flagpole? Do they have to get approval to spend $20? Do they like, I'm not saying those things are bad. You know, you obviously want a sense of like, you don't want everyone sort of running in every different directions, but there needs to be enough flexibility for people to test out new ideas. If they're buried in bureaucracy, it's like, that's not great for innovation. That's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not to say that it, you won't get innovative outcomes, but it'll be relegated to like a very specific person or team. It, you will not be able to call yourself an innovative organization if not everyone has the sort of freedom to test out ideas. Okay. So we have three. I think there's one more, maybe two more. Two more. Okay. Two what more. are they? I'll be quick. Yeah. Okay. So then do folks feel safe throwing out an idea or challenging the status quo? Again, innovation, new ideas to old problems. You're going to have to push on the status quo. You're going to have to feel safe throwing out even wild ideas. There's, there's a very thin line between like nonsensical and brilliant ideas, you know, but you have to kind of hold space for that. Things like, do you have a diversity of backgrounds and perspectives on your team that are actually able to look at problems from a different angle? That matters. If someone throws out an idea, it's, What's the response? Is it like, oh, you know, we've tried that. Oh, we've tried that already. It's never going to work. Or like, well, what's the proof? Have you like built out an entire business plan for this? Like, or like, that's enough from you. Like, I mean, and sometimes it's not even that over. Mm-hmm. Like, rarely are people that rude to each other at work, although it happens sometimes, unfortunately. But sometimes it's even like, this might seem innocuous. It's like, oh yeah, we've tried that already. Not holding space to explore it or let the person kind of explain it because there's this um, idea of like, oh yeah, we tried that before, but we didn't take into consideration or like things are different now because... And at my last job, we ran this study with like, surveyed like 600 different teams. And we found out that like, if I were to throw out an idea in a meeting and you were to like, kind of shut me down in some way, even if it was gently, I am now 30% less likely to put forward an idea next time. 30% less likely. So this is based on, I used to work at IDEO and there was uh, a survey and assessment tool to sort of measure different innovative characteristics of teams. And so this is based on that data set. Yes, 30% less likely. And if, so you, that can only happen so many times. I go to the next meeting. I like give myself a pep talk. I throw out another idea and you shut me down again. It doesn't take long before I'm like at 0%, right. you know? So that's a, that's really important. Yeah. And then I know there's one more. What is <laughs> it? What is the about number five? <laughs> So if folks actually want to experiment with the idea and prototype something, is it safe to fail? This is a big one. Really good point. Um, Do What happens when people mess up? What happens when ideas fail? Is it brushed under the rug? Is it a ding on their reputation? 
Um, or do people say like, okay, well, we knew this was a risk. We were testing this out very specifically and here's what we learned. Here's how we can iterate on it next time. If you're only measuring perfection, the sort of binary, did we do it or did we not? Good luck being innovative. That's not how it works. Innovation and experimentation go hand in hand. And experimentation is in itself testing and learning, meaning you go in with the assumption that your first idea is not going to be the best idea, that your first attempt is not going to be perfect. And so you have to leave room and like no one likes the word failure, but if you kind of, if you leave room for learning <laughs> and iteration, that's really, that can really um, kind of up people's psychological safety to ask questions, make mistakes, learn from it and keep contributing. What steps should leaders follow once they have answers to these questions? I have real steps and then, but here's the one piece of advice too, that is kind of like a step, almost like step zero. Don't get defensive. (laughs) So, um, it's hard sometimes under like thinking like, Oh shoot, I thought we had a really great, and you might have this amazing culture, this amazing team. You might be like super high achievers and come to find out you're not really set up to be innovative. And this can be a tough pill for people to swallow, especially if they can point to other forms of success, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing anything wrong. It just means there's pockets of opportunities and you just need to kind of unlock them and do more of it. So that's sort of like almost like step zero. (laughs) Step two is start small. The other thing I see is folks get really overwhelmed by like, well, how are we going to do all of this? Everyone thinks like, well, do we need to create an innovation lab? Do we need to hire innovation coaches? It's like, okay, like take a step (laughs) back. Just identify one area Mm -hmm. where you think, and it doesn't even have to be like your worst area. It could be like, oh, like we're kind of hit or miss in this area. What if we were to like focus on just being more consistent or frequent in this thing, right? It doesn't, you don't have to just charge after your biggest weakness, right? You can, you can also sort of aim for consistency. And so whatever you identify the area that you want to focus on, ask yourself very plainly, what is something I can do next Monday with less than a hundred dollars to move the needle? I like the less than a hundred dollars. Yes, because the number one uh, reason people will say that they're kind of not able to innovate is like, well, I don't have enough time and I don't have enough budget, right? Again, assuming that there's these, you have to make it big or nothing. Mm -hmm. Innovation constraints. So if you say, what is something, and it doesn't have to be Monday, but in a week, you know, whatever your your next month but the point being give yourself a tight time frame and a tight budget and get creative brainstorm against that um and you'll find ways and even if they don't work it's low risk it's okay but what did you learn from right. it and what can you do going forward that is learned from that experience and and to make it even more tangible like if people are like oh what, what like well, how does this show up I'm always like, okay, take your te- your weekly team meeting mm-hmm. and ask yourself what you can do in your weekly team meeting to increase psychological safety and make it more innovative in one week with a hundred bucks. 
Now I'm curious, do you have any examples of what people have done? That might be just an example off the cuff as opposed to an actual story, but I'm curious. One really great example of things that folks can do that, that works well is to design for both introverts and extroverts. And so... Um, even if you brainstorm or if you don't brainstorm, even if it's a normal practice, think about how to include all voices, right? We talked about psychological safety. Do I feel comfortable throwing out my idea? Sometimes it comes down to like the loudest people just take up a whole lot of space. And so here's one very tangible tip that you can do in your next meeting is say, the first five minutes of this brainstorm, everyone's going to be heads down and write down as many ideas as possible. Because it's not that introverts don't have great ideas. They do. They're just not going to be barking over (laughs) other extroverts who feel way more comfortable doing that. And so leveling the playing field, making it safe for everybody is one very tangible tip you could do. Can you give us an example of a company that went through this process? What was the outcome? Yeah. I mean, it's worth noting that like no two processes look the same because organizations will have slightly different focus areas. Right. But one, one team that I worked with um, at a pretty big tech company, um, their psychological safety had taken a hit right after some big name departures. So mm. some pretty senior folks left that were very visible and it didn't feel good. And so their psychological safety had been rocked, right? Their sense of belonging and fairness was a bit rattled. And so what um, me and a collaborator did, we went in and it's a little meta, but um, they wanted to be innovative and innovate around creating a more inclusive culture on their team. So they're like, how do we innovatively approach mm-hmm. inclusion? And by the way, these two things are very closely related, as you can imagine, but So the team put in time, they did user interviews. They interviewed people on their teams, collaborators, close collaborators. Um, They brainstormed. And like, at first they were so uncomfortable with it. They were so polite. Like, you go, you go, you go. So we (laughs) we had to kind of build that muscle. It's new. It's funny. It's weird. Yeah. And so we had to build like, this is the moment to be funny and weird. Like we had to give them permission in a way. Mm -hmm. And then... Anyway, so that was great. Um, The other thing that came out of it too is they created new team agreements. They saw how they were shifting their behaviors and they were like, hey, as a team, can we agree that we're going to leave these things behind and we're going to strive towards these new behaviors that we want to... And then they like created like an accountability process for it. They also um, started doing more cross-functional collaboration. Anyway, um, they went from feeling really unsafe and cautious and holding back to just, and, and here's my favorite part, like having fun at work again, even though they're solving for this big, complex, kind of gnarly challenge of how do we increase the sense of inclusion on our team through the innovation process. They like, by practicing, they started embracing it. And um, so like in like two months or maybe a little bit more, there was like increased engagement, all this like increased collaboration. The ideas got wilder, which I loved <laughs> seeing. Yep. You know, everyone felt like they needed this like super sensical, fully baked idea. I'm like, no, no, wild, wild, wild. And I, and I just loved it. But they left 
was just like almost like new beings. Like they were like, they had this new sense of agency, this new sense of confidence. And it was really great to see in such a short amount of time. I love examples of how things have gone and what people learned along the way, because even if a listener works at a totally different company or a different nonprofit, I think there's something that can be gleaned from others' experiences. Sometimes, by the way, sometimes it's the folks that you least expect, because I've worked with some like names and tech who you associate with innovation and like still they work on this stuff too, by the way. So take that with a grain of salt. (laughs) So if we bring it back to the social impact space, why is innovation or psychological safety important for the social impact space specifically, or is it just as important in every field? Well, it's just as important in every field. Wherever there's people, wherever there's people who work together, there's going to be ways of working and there's going to be um, ways to make people safe and not safe. So it, it really does cross all industries and functions. But I really, I get so excited by this, by this question very specifically because um, I strongly believe in the power of collective design with a community. Okay. I, I think innov- really great innovation, not just any innovation, but really great innovation is not just going to like push solutions onto you and hope it works. Really great innovative solutions have taken the time to work closely with the people they're going to impact, mm-hmm. hear their stories, be inspired by them, develop empathy, and really design solutions with them in mind. And what I love that's happening in the social impact space is this, um, what I called co-design, collective design or community design, where it's not a set of people coming in and be like, we've got the answer for you. Right. It's actually like, hey, we're here to help. Come, you are the, you are actually all the experts. Mm-hmm. Come and innovate with us. And so you see this happening more and more. And I think, um, actually, I think the social impact space is really leading the way in co-design um, and co-innovation. And taking this this lens of co-design or co-innovation that you just brought up, we hosted a webinar back in December um, with One and All, Wounded Warrior Project, CSX, and Verizon, where it wasn't just co-design in that sense, but it was really about co-designing the partnership. So they were looking at what are some innovative, out-of-the-box employee engagement solutions that we can figure out that are mutually beneficial for both Wounded Warrior Project on the nonprofit side and Verizon or CSX on the corporate side. So I will link to that in the show notes as well in case anybody wants to take a look at it. And it is free. So Virginia, I have loved this conversation. You know, I'm a huge Ah! fan of psychological safety, (laughs) well-being, etc. Do you have any parting words of wisdom you want to share with our listeners? I would say always lead with curiosity. And um, what I tell people is you've got two ears and one mouth. Try to listen twice as much as you talk. I like that ask questions. And if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So again, lead with curiosity, surround yourself with people who are going to tell you things you don't already know. And it is one of, I think, a real key to to psychological safety and also innovation. So yeah. I think that is the perfect note to end on. So Virginia, thank you so much for joining me, for sharing your insights with our listeners and for taking the time out of your day. I'm so happy that you invited me. It it was a huge honor and thank you very much. Absolutely. So to all of our listeners, thanks for joining us and you can find full show notes at engageforgood.com. The Engage for Good podcast is a production of Engage for Good in partnership with True Story FM, engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week is by Hotham and Rex Banner. 
If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing you can do to support Engage for Good is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.